it's finally quiet. Finally. Joseph finally has an opportunity to take a big deep breath and he looks over and the baby's sleeping and Mary is sleeping out of the sheer exhaustion of childbirth and Joseph just doesn't want anybody to move or make a sound because he's finally, finally alone with his thoughts. The shepherds have come and gone. The stable still smells because it's a stable and Joseph finally gets to deep, take a deep breath. And because he's a guy, he's compartmentalizing. And he thinks for just a second, a question that drives all of the peace and calm out of his brain. Because he's asking the question, what just happened? Like, what, what just happened? Ten months ago, he's engaged and life is good. And the next second, Mary is announcing this immaculate conception. And the concept of a pregnant virgin is as crazy then as it seems right now. And Joseph is just wrapped in his brain, like, what just happened to my whole life? And then he starts thinking. The questions begin to just pummel through his brain. What do I do with Mary? What about the baby? What about my reputation? What about a house? Where do I go? What do I do? And then an angel shows up in his world and says, Joseph, don't be afraid. Really? Really? Don't be afraid to take Mary home. Because you need to understand something, Joseph. The baby is a miracle. It's a boy. <laughs> His conception is a miracle. His life is a miracle. His lineage is a miracle. He's a miracle. Oh, and by the way, Joseph, one more thing. The baby's not yours. It's God's. And he's on a mission to save humanity from sin and with all of that stuff ripping through his brain, Joseph looks at Jesus and tries to reconcile something. That's not my little boy, but he sort of is and he's also my savior. How do I put that together? And for one brief second, all is calm and all is silent and all is holy. First Christmas. Fast forward 2020 years, I'm in line at Target on Black Friday, and it's not calm. <laughs> and we showed up later, right? All the lunatics had already gone home by the time we got there. But I'm at Black Friday at Target trying to get, you know, 15 pairs of socks for three bucks. That's how it works, right? And, and I see two big guys with shopping carts full of Nerf guns and Barbies. And they're on a parallel track, heading down the same aisle, heading towards the self-checkout area at Target. And they make a mistake. They make eye contact with each other. Something, something just innately happens inside of two guys when they are walking in the same direction, pushing some kind of a vehicle, and they make eye contact with each other. Because I watched them both slowly start to match each other's speed. And then they start walking faster and pretty soon they're speed walking as fast as they possibly can and people are scrambling out of the way. And before they get to the end of the aisle, they're in a flat out sprint, no word of a lie. They go around the corner and the carts are on two wheels. I mean, they are just going and both of them lose to a little old lady who stopped right in the middle of the aisle and blocked all access to the self-checkout area. Thank you, Jesus. Grandma wins. It was awesome. <laughs> Two contrasting pictures of Christmas. And that's where the Bible picks up in Matthew chapter 20. 
Jesus is all grown up. He's about to tell us another reason why he came. Jesus did not make this a mystery to us. There are 31 places that I found in scripture where Jesus says, this is exactly why I came or this is why I did not come. And we're going to step into one of those stories when Jesus tells us exactly why he came to light the way. It's a great story of competition, like Black Friday, and perspective, like the first Christmas. Hold on to your Christmas spirit. It's going to show up. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Get the picture. Mommy shows up. Jesus, all I want for Christmas is for my boys to be at the top of the organizational chart. Okay? Peter and Judas are idiots. Go with James and John. That's what you should do. The fact that their mommy is asking on their behalf is just plain wrong. Okay? It's just completely wrong. But here comes the answer of Jesus. Verse 22. You don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink? Now just stop for a second. Okay, Jesus is referring to the cup of wrath. The cup that would actually allow him to take on the sin of the world, past, present, and future. Every single sin that's ever been committed, past, present, or future. All of God's anger is poured into a cup. And Jesus says, I'm going to drink the old covenant so that a new covenant can be in place to set sinners free. Can you boys do that? Here comes their answer. <laughs> we can, they answered. Wow. Talk about an overinflated view of yourself, right? That's unbelievable arrogance. They say, Jesus, we got this. We can do this. Jesus like, no, you don't. No. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. Now, let me help you understand this. The boys don't get it, but Jesus is saying this. You're actually going to die too for the sake of my name. Wow. Merry Christmas, right? You'll indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So the other 10 disciples are like, guys, really? You sent your mom? Really? They're indignant with the two brothers. Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise a sore authority over them. Here's four very important words. Not so with you. Not so with you. We'll come back to that in a minute. It said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Let's stop there for just a second, okay? When you hear the word slave, don't think about the broken part of American history when human beings were enslaved. This word is actually the word bondservant, which was when a person would volunteer their services to work under a benevolent master because they knew that the master was gonna take care of everything. It must be your bondservant. Verse 28, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Let me unpack this for just a second. The son of man, okay, that was a name that Jesus chose for himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Mommy and the boys show up, they want two things. They want power and position. Jesus says, I want humility and honor. 
Mommy and the boys want greatness. Jesus says greatness will happen, but it never happens through position. It only happens through posture. And by the way, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you need to learn to take a low posture. I mean, mommy and the boys, they think it's about robes, crowns, and scepters. Jesus is about to hand them an apron. They put this on. That's how it works in my kingdom. Stick with me for just a second. I can't speak for you and your family. I want this to be the greatest Christmas that the fish six have ever experienced, ever. I mean, that's what I want, right? The Bible says that if you want that to happen, if you want not just to have a good Christmas, but a great Christmas according to the way Jesus operates the kingdom, you get to make four choices to start. And it's a good thing it's the beginning of December because we've got all month to work on it. The world's going to argue with you. The world's going to say that life is all about position and Christmas is all about stuff. Especially expensive stuff from Amazon that arrives the very next day. Isn't it incredible, right? But Jesus shows up and says, that's good, but that's not great. In fact, he uses these words, not so with you. So to those of you that would call yourself a follower of Jesus, the world's going to tell you it's all about position and stuff. Jesus is going to say, not so with you. That's not the way it operates. Not so with you. Everybody else may look at life and Christmas that way, but not so with you. People want status and stuff, but not so with you. So if you want it to be a great Christmas, you're going to go against the flow. You're not going to choose normal and predictable you're going to choose something completely and totally different that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Four choices for all of us today. Number one, according to this passage, choose humility. Choose humility. Verse 26 is instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your Servant doesn't say must be your CEO. Jesus takes this whole concept and flips it on its head. If you want to be great in my kingdom, choose a low place and serve from there. Don't focus on becoming big. Make the choice to be humble and small. Choose that posture. That will separate you from good to great. Now, some of us would argue and go, why would God ask me to do that? Like, I want to realize my potential. I want to actualize everything about me. I'm a promise, I'm a possibility, I'm a great big bundle of potentiality. I mean, come on. Think about who's asking you to become humble. The God of creation who restrained and contained his godliness and chose of all things to become a human baby. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but babies need help with everything. Everything. I know this. I've had two. Babies can't do anything for themselves except look cute. And it works because that's what allows them. I mean, they, they manipulate us into doing everything for them, right? It's a baby conspiracy everywhere, right? Jesus chose that. The king of all creation chose that helpless package. I mean, think about it. You have full power full knowledge, full everything, and you sit quietly while somebody feeds you and somebody bathes you and later on someone explains math to you 
And all the while, in the deepest part of your soul, you know something. I don't need your food. I'm the bread of life. I don't need your bath. I'm living water. Oh, and by the way, I created every mathematical system that has ever been conceived in the human mind. You can't school me. I can school you. Jesus chose that. I think he has every right to promote humility because he went first. <laughs> he went first. Here comes some good Bible from Philippians about humility. It says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Those words, taking the very nature of a servant, that's a sermon series all by itself. Because it literally means this, to put on the apron. Now, if you want to be culturally sensitive, the language, the concept, and the imagery contain this picture. It was the leather apron of an either a metal worker or a carpenter. The message is exactly the same. Jesus is saying, if you want greatness in the kingdom of God, don't ask for a leather briefcase or a corner office, even though that's exactly where God may put you. Instead, ask for a leather apron and go to work. Serve. Serve Jesus and the people he loves. And some of us are just like, why would I do that? Like, what's the payoff? Listen to the payoff Jesus got for taking on the very nature of a servant. Verse number nine, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus chose humility and God elevated him. So if you want that eternal elevation, here's what you need to do, go low. Choose humility. Second choice, choose service. Verse 28 from Matthew 20 says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus can hand you an apron and you can even take it out of his hand, but that does nothing in comparison to actually putting it on and going to work. If you think about it, Jesus put on the apron of service every day of his life. You read through scripture and you just see it. He washed feet, forgave, fed, healed, touched, intervened, shared, admonished, invited, included, connected, prayed, loved, and helped. That was his modus operandi. That was his daily pattern of life and choices. And he calls us into exactly the same thing. And I don't know about you, but as soon as someone gives me an opportunity to serve, this is what happens in my brain. I'm really busy. Let me tell you something about serving. It's never convenient, ever. There's never enough time. There's always something else you could be doing. And it's true. I have this multitude of excuses that just keep flowing through my brain. When somebody says, hey, Grant, we got an opportunity for you. I'm just like, I got all this other stuff. That's why we need to understand this. Service for followers of Jesus is never about convenience. It's about calling. Service is what you were created to do. Servants is who we were created to be. We were created in the image of a God who came not to be served, but to serve. So that means everyone in this room was literally created for the sake of service, which means if you're not doing it, you're not living to the potential that God created for you. 
When we are literally created to show people in the most tangible ways that they're worthy of our attention, our time, our resources, and our love. Every time we serve, we connect in with a part of the heart of God that we cannot access any other way. So when I was a kid, I went to Faith Fellowship Baptist Church in Brandon, Manitoba. And we were good Baptist church going people, which meant we went to church a lot, okay? Sunday morning, Sunday school, followed by morning worship. Then the really holy people came back Sunday evening for deeper life meetings. Wednesday night was another prayer meeting and you usually showed up two or three times during the week to help clean the church and all the rest of it. And there was kind of a, there was kind of a hierarchy. The more you showed, the more Jesus loved you. That was the math that we did in our heads. So Sunday mornings, my parents took me to church. And as part of my regular routine, at some point I knew it was coming. My mom would say, hey Grant, we need you to go up to Hillcrest and get Kenny. There was a rest home right up on the, on the crest of the hill called Hillcrest, all right? And I used to go up there and I picked up a guy. His name was Kenny Rogers. That was his real name, <laughs> Kenny Rogers. Kenny had cerebral palsy and one of the first electric wheelchairs. His wheelchair was like a small tank and he drove everywhere with it. And my job was not to get Kenny to church because he could have done that completely on his own. It was to make sure that his wheelchair didn't get hung up on the railroad tracks because he had to go over top of them in order to get to church. And that was my job. I got there one morning and there was a nurse down on her knees clipping Kenny's toenails. And I thought to myself, hmm, nope, nope, glad it's you and not me. I, I don't have a problem with my toenails. In fact, I don't have a problem with, with one other person in the world's toenails. I'm married to her. And so what that means is if you're not me or I'm not married to you, I don't want anything to do with your feet. That's how it works. I'm just saying, okay. So I walk in and she's clipping Kenny's toenails. And I'm like, that's just nasty in so many different ways. And then the nurse's pager goes off. And as she walks out the door, she hands me the nail clippers and says, make yourself useful. And it's uncomfortable because Kenny's looking at me. <laughs> Kenny can't speak, but he was communicating with his eyes. It's just like. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny didn't say a word and he didn't have to because Jesus started talking to a 12 year old kid. Whatsoever you have done to the least of these, you do to me. So I clipped toenails and I learned something. The elevation of service happens in the simple joy of serving. And you never lose when you go that direction. As a church, we're getting ready to say goodbye to one of the best servants that I know. This young lady has served faithfully in our kids' ministry through multiple brain surgeries. Sonia Bovenkamp, and her family are moving to Lewiston, Idaho. I know, her husband got a job running a newspaper over there and he has the audacity to want to take his wife along with him. That's just some people, right, you know? Um, Sonia's gonna be here for the next several weeks, but I'll tell you what, if you have little kids, you owe her a debt of gratitude because she has served your children so unbelievably well for a really, really, really long time. I'm going to tell you something about, about Sonia. Uh, she's not a hugger. 
She's just not. That's just not her thing. But I, I would say this, if you want to honor her servant's heart, this is what Sonia would like you to do. Put on an apron and serve her kids on Christmas Eve. That's what she would love more than anything for Christmas. Sign up to volunteer with CTK Kids. There's more opportunities in the commons. It's an opportunity to be able to say to another servant, well done, good and faithful servant. And I promise you, something will happen deep inside of your heart when you do. And some of you are just like, I don't, I, I don't serve kids. Really? If you've been coming to church here for a while and never put anything in the bucket, yes, you have. Now, this is not an excuse, but about 10 days ago, this little thing popped into my email box. And when I watched it the first time, I went, oh my goodness. That's just the greatest gift ever. If you've ever put anything in the bucket, you've actually been serving a group of kids on the other side of the world in a dusty little place called Engekeret, Tanzania. And for Christmas this year, they wanted to say thank you. So I'm not gonna say it. They are. Take a look at the screens. for the support we have given this kid together with these teachers and the last exam these guys did marvelous and it's all because of your support thank you so much for giving a future to the children of africa thank you so much for giving a future to the Maasai children may god bless you and give you long life thank you question. What just happened in your heart? It's like, I didn't even know we were doing that. Exactly. You've been serving people at the uttermost parts of the earth. Christmas Eve is just an opportunity to do the Jerusalem part. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Choose service. Thirdly, choose generosity. We've all heard this before, right? What does the Bible say? It's more blessed to give than to receive. So if you want a good Christmas, receive. It's all good, right? People just piling stuff on top of you. If you want great, then give. I found 17 articles last week that laid out the health benefits of being a generous person. One medical doctor said this, there's an undeniable and irrevocable evidence that generous people are not just happier, they're healthier. There's unquestioned evidence that generous people have lower blood pressure, lower stress, and lower anxiety. So if you're freaking out already, do the exact opposite of what your brain tells you. Give. 
And let me be clear, I am so not talking about money. That's just so easy sometimes, isn't it? How about the gift of time? How about the gift of an unrushed conversation where you give someone an hour of your undivided attention? How about the gift of listening? How about the gift of a handwritten letter? I got a note this past week that somebody took the time to sit down and just write out a note of appreciation. I was just so blessed. How about the gift of keeping your promises? How about the gift of gratitude? How about the gift of a little red invitation that says, hey, for whatever reason, God put you next door to me. I don't know what you're doing on Christmas Eve, but my family and I are going to CTK. We're going to not do anything weird. We're going to sing Silent Night, Oh Holy Night. We're going to light candles. It's beautiful. And we were wondering if you'd like to come along. The gift of an invitation. You know, when you give of yourself, Jesus is honored because that's him living in and through you. So choose humility, choose service, choose generosity. And there's one more piece here. It's the choice of sacrifice because the Bible says he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Reality of the incarnation is that Jesus came to give his life away. The beauty of Christmas is that you and I were being held hostage. I mean, our own sin was holding us captive and Satan demanded a price, a king's ransom for our freedom. And Jesus could have, if he wanted to, allowed us to get exactly what we deserved, judgment and death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. He could have given that to us. We deserved it, but instead he gave a different gift, grace and forgiveness. He paid it all on the cross of Calvary. That's unbelievably true, but that story started 33 years earlier. That sacrificial moment began with another sacrificial moment when a story started with God showing up in the middle of the darkness of humanity to hold up a light so that we could find our way home. So let me ask you a question. Knowing that your Savior sacrificed all, what can you sacrifice this Christmas? Could you sacrifice your pride and humbly serve somebody without any recognition? Could you sacrifice by giving till it hurts so that somebody can find the light of Jesus and find their way home? Could you let your light so shine before your friends and neighbors that they would actually see everything that you do and understand that that's the light of the world shining through you, the light of the world. Could you pay some kind of a price that would open a door that you walked through maybe, maybe tens of years ago just so they could find their way home too? I was sitting at a kitchen table not too long ago talking with a lady who had just lost her husband and her friend showed up at the kitchen table. Her name's Karen. And Karen had come alongside and I thought I recognized Karen. Like I really thought I recognized her. And I thought back in my brain and I thought, I know where I've seen you before, Karen. 
Whenever we do a baptism service, Karen will come and stand at the bottom of the stairs and hug the people that nobody else hugs. And I asked her the question, how, how did you get started with that whole thing? Like, what, what's the deal? She goes, oh, my friend, my friend Jeannie, <laughs> a couple of Christmas Eves ago, invited somebody who didn't believe in God to come and sit with her on Christmas Eve. And now she believes in God. <laughs> and now her mission is to make sure that nobody gets baptized at Christ the King and walks out of here without a hug. That's sacrifice. That's sacrifice. And she learned it from somebody. A God who sacrificed. A God who chose humility. A God who chose giving and generosity. A God who chose everything that we've just talked about. So let me wrap up. It's time to be done. <clears throat> Titus chapter two says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That word teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Over the next number of weeks, we're going to talk about how light has come. Light came so that we could find our way home. Jesus just said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. May the people of God this week look for every opportunity they can to find a way to serve so we can be just like Jesus, the light of the world who came to light the way. So in a moment, we're going to pray, then I'm going to dismiss you, and you're going to walk out those doors, and there's going to be opportunities to serve kids, to serve on our hospitality team. We can do Christmas Eve kind of on our own around here, but we choose not to. We think this is a family event, and I'd love nothing more than to hang out with some of you on Christmas Eve. If you do your part, your part I can do mine, and together we might actually see the light of Jesus shine in Whatcom County. Would you stand and pray with me? God, thank you for an hour in a very busy time when we can come and focus fully and completely on you. God, may we choose to invite and to serve because when we think about it, that's what you did. You invited us into your salvation. You lit the way and you did it by serving. So God, may we follow in your footsteps and may this Christmas not just be good, but be great. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. We'll see you in the comments. Merry Christmas, everybody.